you guys don't know me, my name is Garrett. I'm one of the pastors here at Northeast. I'm excited to get to speak with you today. Uh, we are starting our, our new sermon series, um, and it is a sermon series for all of you out there that are the note takers, that like whenever we preach and we're giving you guys a bunch of big ideas, heart level things, and you're just like, you're like, this is all good and all, makes me feel good inside, but what do I do about it? Like, tell me what to do. This is the sermon series for you, and it's called the practicals. Okay, so this whole sermon series is going to be, don't get me wrong, we're still going to preach the word of God. We're definitely going to talk about why, but we are going to emphasize orthopraxy. We're going to emphasize doing it right. Okay, if that sounds like legalism to you, then uh, it's not. (laughs) Gotcha. Um, you know, uh, I'll point out, if it sounds like legalism to you, then, then we maybe rework your understanding of legalism, because nobody in here, especially in here, if you know us, you know this is especially true, no one in here is going to hold your feet to the flame on any given thing, except for that you would be uh, uh, lovingly dedicated to Christ alone, right? That He is Lord of, of everything. He's Lord of all. He's Lord of all creation. He's Lord of you. He's Lord of the person next to you. He's Lord of people that don't even know that he's Lord, okay? That's the only thing that we stand behind as a church that we're like, you've got, you got to get on board with that. And even if you're not on board with that, we still love that you're here and trying to figure out whether that's true. Um, so that's, that's one thing. Uh, but whenever you look in the scripture, it does not merely emphasize orthodoxy, namely right thinking, right? So that's what orthodoxy is. Let's just call it, and I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm dumbing that down, but orthodoxy is just right thinking. It also emphasizes orthopraxy, meaning right living, okay? So it's right thinking and right living, and those two things go hand in hand. If you need like a, an essay on that, go read James. In 1 John 3.18, John says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Okay, so, and there's, there's a lot in scripture there to that. And even though this series is meant to emphasize real everyday things that people can do to grow in right living, uh, it is going to be rooted in scripture. And it's something that we want to hold in front of you as this is an invitation from the Lord into right living. Uh, I can understand why many of us, uh, I definitely am in this boat, Whenever we hear the things in Scripture, like when I read through the Sermon on the Mount and I try to checklist the things that are in the Sermon on the Mount and I get no checks, I begin to realize how bad of a person that I am and how much it does not, it's not going to work out for me unless I can do things based on the grace of God. And we rely on the base of God, we rely on the grace of God, but it is His grace after all that's meant to have an intended effect on our lives. Not we do it to get grace, but rather His grace makes us want to do it. If His grace does not make you want to live better, if His grace does not make you want to leave sin, then you haven't really quite understood His grace yet. And I'm struck by what uh, Aaron shared today. In fact, I felt really called to, to share something as well because of it. Uh, Aaron read out of Romans 7, I believe it's 21, right, Aaron? Yeah, uh, thanks. I mean, you're just right there, so just go ahead. Um, so I literally read this last night out of the message and felt incredibly 
convicted and also blessed by it. So I wanted to read it to you guys in a little bit longer form. And this actually has nothing to do with my sermon whatsoever. So I'm just going to follow the Spirit's lead. And whenever God says something to me last night and then I wake up and I go to church and Aaron quotes from the exact verse this morning, I have to assume that's something that God might want to share to you as well. So I'm going to get out of the way of my own sermon and just let the scripture speak to you guys really quickly. Uh, If you've never read out of the message, it is a paraphrased translation from Eugene Peterson. It's wonderful. Um, And uh, I'm just going to read Romans 7, 21 through 8, about 17. Just listen to this, okay? This is so cool. I can already hear, this is Paul writing to the Romans. Just going to get context. That's all I'm going to say. I can already hear your next question. Does that mean I can't even trust what is good, that is the law? Is good just as dangerous as evil? No, again. Sin simply did what sin is so famous for doing, using the good as a cover to tempt me to do what would finally destroy me. By hiding within God's good commandment, sin did far more mischief than it could have ever accomplished on its own. I can anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Well, yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For I know, for if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me, and it gets the better of me every time. First of all, golly. (sighs) Come on, Paul. It happens so regularly that it's predictable even. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands. But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. There is no is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? Man, the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all of my heart and my mind. But I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under the continuous, low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. 
The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. You see, God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disorder mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code weakened as it always was by fractured human nature could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for, but we couldn't deliver, is accomplished. As we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's actions in them find that God's Spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God and ends up thinking more about the self than God. That person ignores who God is and what he is doing, and God isn't pleased at being ignored. I'm going to keep going. (laughs) But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome Him, in whom He dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourselves experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, He'll do the same thing in you that He did in Jesus. Man, what? bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does, as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ's. So don't you see that we don't owe owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent. There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is give, a decent, give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's Spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a child like, What's next, Papa? God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who He is. And we know who we are, father and children. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. Yeah, that's it. Um, I'm starting to think that maybe we should stop giving sermons and just stand up and preach a couple chapters of the scripture and be like, Cool, huh?
And that would probably be enough, honestly. I really do think that. Uh, we, we can certainly use help in understanding what the Scripture is, but maybe one of the reasons that God wanted me to share this is because it's this that sets the tone for obedience to God. Obedience to God, it's not you've got some hard work to do and you're bad people and you've got a lot of work to figure out how to get into God's presence. That's not the basis of working for the kingdom or obedience to God. The basis for obedience to God is look what God has done and is doing in you. Do you want to live as a slave to the world or as a slave to righteousness? Do you want to imprison yourself in rules and law or do you want to live by the new life, the new spirit, freedom in Christ? Which, by the way, if you go and you look at each person, this person, I guarantee you, will have far more good in their life to show for it. But they're not as worried about that good, about doing it all the time. They concern themselves with loving God. So we're going to turn our attention, and I think maybe this is good as well, but to the practicals of prayer today. Just the practicals of prayer. As a minister, I get to talk to a lot of people about their prayer lives. So I've got some, uh, some insight into what I, I see people doing so often that might be helpful uh, for, for those of us that are seeking to have a better prayer life. Now, this is an interesting one. Just as a, as a mental show of hands, you're going to get the joke. As a mental show of hands, who in here feels like they have a vibrant prayer life? Don't raise your hand. Who in here is like, I think I've got it kind of figured out. It's awesome. Constantly am hearing from God. In fact, too much. I wish you would quiet down. Constantly feel his nearness. His presence is just palpable at all times of the day. I want to pray all the time. I wake up just, ugh. I can't stop praying, honestly. <laughs> you guys get it. Because it's most likely none of you. For those of you that think it's you, please teach me. Um, I really would love to know how you do it. But the, uh, the joke is that so often I hear people talk about their prayer lives and they're like, they struggle to do it. It's uh, the way that they talk about their prayer life is almost the way they talk about getting their tires rotated. They're like, I know I need to do that. I totally know I need to do this. <laughs> I need to at some point. Like, I've got to. It's just kind of hard, you know. It's kind of maintenance. And prayer to them is kind of like maintenance for Christians, that's so not what prayer is. Um, I've got a couple of different points, and they're not super long. Because we want to save some, some time at the end, because we're going to have a baptism. Um, so, fun stuff there. But the first thing I would advise you to do as a practical is to stop talking so much during your prayers. <laughs> and to start listening a little bit more. Stop talking so much. I'm reminded of what Jesus says as the way to pray in Matthew 6, he says, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. I love that phrase. 
Isn't that so like incendiary? <laughs> like about all like like it's just dismissive. He's like, don't be all babbling as you pray. By the way, I'm a babbler. Is anyone else a babbler when they pray? Oh my gosh. Have you ever tried pe- praying like like before bed, like as you're going to bed and you decide, you know what a good time to pray is? While I'm laying down and comfortable. And so you start praying and who knows what you're saying. You're saying the same thing probably over and over again until you eventually doze off. But then you wake up thinking, I didn't finish this prayer, did I? I'm going to keep going a little while and just repeat that four more times until eventually you fall asleep. Yes, I know. I know. I've never done that. I'm just speaking from what I've heard. Just kidding. Stop babbling. I have nothing against prayer meetings, and I want to make sure that I'm all in the same, that we're all on the same page. I've got nothing against prayer meetings. Okay, I like prayer meetings. We should do them. Don't hear, don't hear me say it. But when we pray in a circle and everyone has to do like a full 500 word essay prayer, and we're usually saying the same thing over and again, I just wonder if God's like babblers. <laughs> Quit babbling, I already know all this stuff. Also, the prayers where we inform God about what's going on are the funnest. When he's like, God, don't you know blah, blah, blah is going on? Like, you could just tell people that beforehand and then just pray for it. Either way, babbling prayer is not what God's about. Also, obviously, not the public prayer that's really impressive with your holy voices. Have you noticed people, you guys, the, the people that pray, and when they pray, they change their voice to a holy voice. And they speak in ways that they would never speak in a normal conversation. They're like, ah, okay, guys, I'm going to pray right now. Our Heavenly Father, <laughs> God Almighty, blessed throughout all eternity, come to us, your people, now. You don't have to pray like that. God is not interested in that. People, you're not heard because of your many words, is what Jesus said. Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do you think that God is waiting for you to hit the word count before he starts listening? He's listening to you regardless of whether you're praying or not. He doesn't need you to, he's not like your computer on sleep mode that you've got to wake up and wait a couple minutes before he starts working. That's not the way it works. Do not be like these people, Jesus says. For your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. And then He goes on to deliver the Lord's Prayer, which is famously short and simple. In Ecclesiastes 5.2 is one of my favorite verses. It just says, Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven, and you are on earth, so let your words be few. When I talk to others about praying, I'm often struck in this by what they think the prayer workload like dichotomy is. Do you know what I mean by that? Like what they think like the percentage amount of work that goes into prayer on God's end versus my end. It's like 99.9% me and maybe every now and then God will show up and say something to me. That's, if they're honest, what they actually think prayer is like, Right? They're like, I got it. That's a lot. It's a lot to do, and it's a lot that I have to do. I've got a lot of work to do in prayer here. But when we go to pray, there's nothing that we can inform the Lord about. Don't get me wrong. You can pour out to God when you need to. Pour out to God, just like the Psalms are. The Psalms are pouring out 
to God in prayer. That's just fine. But I don't know about you. I'm not often wanting to really pour out whenever I'm in traffic or right when I wake up. So that's not like the normal mode of my prayer. Okay? It's important to understand in this, as we talk about listening in prayer versus talking in prayer, that, it, that if we are in a little boat and God is the island, you don't lasso the dock and pull the island to you. Okay? You lasso the dock and you get pulled to the island. Okay? In prayer, listen. Say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening like a young Samuel did. And then just shut up. Just shut up and be with him. That's it. Just be with him. It's good enough. Practicals. Go on prayer walks. Most of us cannot be where we normally are and still tune in to God. You can't sit in front of a television. I don't know about you, but when I'm in a restaurant or anywhere else that has a screen, I'm not listening to you. <laughs> I can tell you that much. If we've ever had a one-on-one and I'm doing this, you can be sure. I am addicted to screens. I can't stop looking at them if they are there. Okay? Uh, in fact, Erica the other day was like, Garrett, have you listened to a single word I've been saying to you? And I was like, what a weird way to start a conversation. <laughs> you guys can use that one on your own if you want to. When I say go on prayer walks, when I say talk to God, what I mean is just say something. He knows everything that's going on in the cosmos. You can be like, I'm not feeling it today, Lord. And then just listen for the next 10 minutes, 15 minutes. That's it. That's all you got to do. He doesn't need much. The workload is not 99-1. It doesn't work like that. At worst, it's 50-50. But I usually find God's coming to me far more than I'm coming to him. He's pinging me. When I'm listening, he's pinging me far more than I ping him on things. We have to just learn what channels the Lord speaks through. He's not going to speak just through a human voice very often because God himself does not exist in the form of a human voice. He's got a direct pipeline to your heart, to your soul, to your spirit. He's got, he can speak to you through nature. He speaks to you through others. He speaks to you through thoughts. He speaks to you through the scriptures. How many different channels does the Lord speak to, to you through? So listen, spend some time weekly in intentional silence and in solitude, just to learn how to do it. We don't get much of it, and we certainly don't get it unless we look for it. So, you guys want a practical? Carve out time every day. Ten minutes of doing nothing. Just doing absolutely nothing. Most of us, even if we're standing in line at something, have to pull our phone out. We can't just sit around looking around like a psycho. (laughs) which is what people used to do before phones. They'd just be... You know what else they'd do? They would think. (laughs) That's another... It's one of those crazy pastimes people used to do all the time. They would just sit on a porch and think about stuff. Can you imagine? How boring. Another practical thing to do here is to practice reading the Scripture devotionally because we've gotten so smart about reading Scripture. We read the scripture and we're going to exegete it and figure out like exactly what's happening and what does Jesus really mean here? 
What context is he speaking in? And those are good things to do. It's good to do that. But then we leave knowing exactly what Jesus said and not feeling convicted about it at all and about how we're supposed to actually implement that today in our lives. (laughs) That's a problem. So, We might exegete passages, but we fail to let them convict and shape our hearts. But the word of God is living and active. When we listen to scripture, we listen to God. And when we listen to God, we'll start to know what his voice sounds like. So that when he speaks to us outside of scripture, which he does all the time, okay? If you don't believe that, then you can't believe in a powerful Holy Spirit speaking to you and convicting you and guiding you into all truth, as the scripture says about him doing right? You will learn how to listen to the Lord more and understand when he speaks once you know what he sounds like. And a great way to know what he sounds like is by reading what he said, reading and and thinking about what he actually did, how he is. So then whenever you hear the Spirit saying, go do this, go be with that person, say this thing, do that thing, you'll be like, "Mm, that's God, I'm going to listen. That's a healthy prayer life. Number two, stop trying to grade your prayers and just start praying more often. I think people are um, maybe unmotivated to pray or uninterested in praying. Is One of the reasons, at least, is because they think they're bad at praying. Is that, is that you? You're like, I'm just not good at praying. My question to you is, what do you think it means to be good at praying? Does that mean like you like have a batting average of all the things that you've asked for, and if you got them, then you're good at praying? If you're batting like a 500 or a 1,000, like you're good. And if you don't get what you ask for very often, you're not good at praying? Is that what it means to be good at praying? I don't think so. The word that we use in the New Testament that, that we translate into prayer is proskuke, sorry, proskuke. And it's a combination of two words. The root word pros in UK, and pros means exchange. And UK means a wish or a prayer. Isn't that strange? To exchange something with God, to exchange a prayer with God. But that's actually, if you know what prayer is, makes total sense. Because that's where you talk to God about what's going on with you. And he talks to you about what's going on with you. (laughs) It's a really cool thing. This is an exchange. So prayer is a language of relationship with God. I don't know about you guys. Maybe this is, this is true of you, but I don't grade my exchanges with my spouse or my children. That would be weird. If my son came up and handed me a picture and I was like, solid B. <laughs> or if he was like, dad, I love you so much. I'd be like, that's oh, pretty good. C. He's like, what? He's just expressing his love. That's what we're supposed to be doing in prayer. You're, stop grading it. Why are you worried? This is not an essay. It's a relationship that's being tended to. Do you grade every interaction that you have with your friends? Then why are you doing it in prayer with the Lord? Don't do that with God. If you can slop that off, then you're free to pray more often. There's no holy voice change, no word count, no nice packaging that you need to worry about. Just pray. One of my favorite prayers to pray, and I have to pray it all the time, is saying, God, I know you just saw that, and I'm sorry. <laughs> Does anyone else do that? I literally think that all the time. Not, not out of like a shame or a guilt. It's just like a... Uh, I know, and when I say you saw that, I mean what I felt most of the time, or what I thought in my heart. 
like when that person was so stupid in traffic. I have to drive to SMU now. And 75, is, I'm just wondering if anyone's, is anyone watching in the road anymore at all? No one's looking. No one looks. And then I think an evil thought in my heart, and then I instantly feel the Spirit being like, you? You're going to judge them on that? And I'm like, yeah, good point. Good point. I say good point a lot in my prayers as well. Because <laughs> I instantly feel convicted about the stupid thing that I just thought. And uh, yeah, so that's one thing there too. So just kind of, that, that's, a, that's a great prayer, I think. Not because of me, but because God's like, yeah, you get it. I see you. I'm with you. I forgive you. Don't do that. Don't be like that. And I'm like, okay, got it. I can do that. I'm sorry. I know that you saw. First Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18 says, Rejoice always and pray continually, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In other words, this concept of praying continuously either is really bad news because you've got a lot of work to do now on top of all the stuff you're already doing today, or it's really good news because prayer is just this keeping an open exchange with God. Stop saying amen so often at the end of your prayers as a way to hang up the phone. Say amen as like a yep, please. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's the best way you can say it, but then keep going in it. Uh, your prayers should not be like the letters that you write to a loved one long distance, as infrequent as those and as like cut off as those are. Keep the line open, okay? Keep God on speakerphone throughout your whole day and just walk around like this. That is good prayer. That's what praying continuously is all about. So start your day in prayer. You want practicals? Start your day every day in prayer. Get on your knees, tell God that you're facing him, and you can be half asleep. It's just fine. For you to be like, oh, God, just be with me today. I'm super tired. <laughs> That's great. It's better than doing nothing and not paying attention to him. Face him. Open up the line as soon as you wake up. Pray with your spouse as well. Pray with your spouse, please. Play with, no, play. Play with your friends. Pray with your spouse. Am I right? Uh, no. Pray with your friends as well. Pray with people in general. Stop being so quiet about and like reserving your prayers. Don't tell people you're going to pray for them. Pray for them. <laughs> right there. Be like, can I pray for you? Learn that phrase. Can I pray for you? Or can we pray together? Can we pray with one another? I'll teach you all the phrases. You want to pray? Pray? Uh, we can do any, any number of ways to invite someone into prayer, but we should be people who are together facing God and helping people remember around us that they need to do that as well, not in some kind of I'm better than you way, but we need it kind of way. That's what I think that we can do better. Another practical, make God the first one you call. Stop calling people first. When you something great happened, it's time to put on your praise pants. When something terrible is going on, pick up the phone and talk to dad. Dad is the guy that'll get you out of trouble, not the people around you. We're just stupid people. Not even your minister. I want you to call me. I do. I really genuinely want you to call me if you're in trouble. But call God first, please. Call upon him to help you to have the right attitude during it, the right mindset during it, to have the strength to overcome it, or just with thankfulness in your heart. When you get a raise at work, call God. And then ask him what he wants you to do with that raise. 
Whenever you have great news or bad news, whatever it is, talk to God first. You, and then call people. I'm not saying stop, don't talk to people. I'm saying don't make that your first go-to. Talk to the Lord. Be quick to respond to the Spirit's nudge in prayer. And you guys know what I mean by that, I think. The Spirit nudges us all the time, saying, hey, come talk to me. Just like a good dad does, right? If you don't do that with your kids, start doing that with your kids. Pull them aside, talk to them. Turn off the radio, talk to them in the car, talk to them whenever they're at home. Hey, what's going on with you? Not just a, hey, how was your day, but talk to them more. And it doesn't even have to be a big deal. He just wants to talk. That's the way God is. He loves nudging you. He wants to just talk with you. Sometimes what I've found is that, oftentimes what I should say is, I'm expecting God to tell me something that he wants me to do because really God's just interested in getting me to do a bunch of stuff. But more often than not, that's not true, by the way, that's sarcasm. More often than not, what I sense him doing is he gives me a nudge and he's like, I love you. Like good dads do. Hey, I'm proud of you. Isn't that cool? That's what he wants to offer to you in prayer. Not changing your tires, but giving you a hug. It's different. I'd encourage you also, as far as practicals to go, go talk out loud in your prayers. When convenient, like, you know what I mean. <laughs> Don't be in a work meeting talking out loud to God. That's not ideal. But talk out loud. When you can, speak out loud to God. I really want to encourage you to do that. If you, if you want to know why, try it. All right. Also, another thing. And this is going to kind of fly in the face of what I just said about listening to God, but hear me say it the right way. Chit-chat with God. You don't have to have some big thing going on to just talk with God. You don't always have to come to Him with a need. I love it when my children come to me and they don't need anything. They just want to talk. I love that. I have no reason to believe God feels any differently. God's not like, I'm busy right now making sure that the universe continues to expand at an unknown rate. So... Only pick, only pick up the phone and dial me if you've got something really important to talk about. That's not the way that God is. He likes you. God really likes you. But just make sure that in your chit-chattiness that you're listening to him. And then finally, the last point, going quickly. The most helpful thing I can think to describe prayer and your attitude towards God is to be surrendered and hopeful. Surrendered and hopeful. When you see Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane in Mark 14, he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. When we err on the side of surrender without hope, you just think God's going to do whatever he's going to do, like a dad who neither sees nor cares about you. So you're not going to ask, and because you do not ask, you will not receive. That's what the scripture says. If you err on the side of hopefulness without surrender, you're going to become frustrated with God not doing what you want. You're going to remain focused on what you think you need, and you will think God is a, a, that God is a dad who doesn't listen and won't care about you. The goal, though, is to be both surrendered and hopeful. So the, practical, the practicals of that is to spend time in prayer talking to God about his power. I know that sounds strange. Isn't that a weird practical for that? What you'll notice at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer is, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What you notice at the beginning of Jesus' prayer in the garden is, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. That is so important in prayer. I've often told you guys that the two things that you need to know in the world is that God has all the power in the world and that he loves you desperately. If you know those two things, everything else is gravy, man. Whatever else is going on is gravy. 
God loves you. He's got all the power in the whole universe. It's important to talk with God about his power, not for his sake, because he needs to be like fluffed up. He's all powerful. He can't get more powerful. Not, no matter how much you say to him, he can't get any more powerful than he is. He's, he's maxed that out. He's maxed out that skill trait. Okay? It's for you. It's so that you will understand who you're dealing with and that God has everything in his control. And then secondly, spending time in prayer, thanking God for his love and his care for you. If you want to be surrendered and hopeful, talk to God about his power and then thank God for the way that he loves you. Be filled with thankfulness. And then finally there, speak bluntly about what you want, but also practice surrendering your outcomes out loud. This one is especially important because many of us think at some like, like a nebulous level, like, oh yeah, I've surrendered everything to God. It's another thing to say, Father, I surrender my children's lives to you. They belong to you and not me. I hope that you'll use them for the kingdom. And I hope that you show them your love, but your will be done because you know what's best. You're not in charge of your kids. You're not in charge of your money. And you're definitely not in charge of your own life. God is. If you follow him, if you call him Lord, he is, right? So tell him that. When you say it out loud, it's a deal. When you just think it in your head, no accountability. But if you've got to say it out loud, what you're surrendering to God, you'll have a much harder time doing it. And I guarantee you, go try doing that this week. Go surrender everything that you think you actually should surrender to God out loud and see if it doesn't cause you a little bit of concern at first. But do that. It's easy to feel like you've surrendered it. It's another thing entirely to say it out loud before him. And then I've got four things that I'm calling completely detached prayer practicals. (laughs) Just four more practicals on top of the practicals that I've already given you. So like, it's like a a bonus practicals. All right. This one comes with 20% more. (laughs) Learn how over time by doing it to fill your mind and your prayers with thankfulness and worship. The scripture says to rejoice always spend lots of time singing and worshiping God and bring him drawings like my kids bring me. Don't ask, I mean, you could technically, you could draw something for the Lord. That's great. But you get what I mean by that. My kids' drawings are hilarious. They brought me gifts today, literally in a bag, and it's a drawing. Their drawings are not good. <laughs> um, I don't want them to hear that in case they're walking in the halls right now. They're great, okay? Um, but I love it when they do that. That's how God, I think, feels when you can just, just, just face him and tell him that you love him. That's, that's a great prayer. Are you kidding me? That's awesome. Great A on that one, okay? First Thessalonians, like we read in 517, says to pray without ceasing. Do all, and here's this, this is a tough one, all of your thinking that you do in your mind, that needs to be, uh, let me think how to put it, updated. There's a new way if you're a Christian. Your new way is you don't think by yourself. You think in the context of prayer. That's the way Christians think. Christians don't think by themselves. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And that's really rude to ignore him as you think about things. 
Actually, he's invited, you want to invite him into all of your thought process. So stop thinking by yourself. You never have to be alone again. You get to think with God now. And that's what prayer is, kind of. When you talk about praying continuously, I think what Paul meant is, he's like, I'm constantly exchanging information with God and, and exchanging wishes and thoughts and all that kind of stuff with God. That's, that's how I think. Learn how to do that. If you want to know how to do that, ask God for help. <laughs> all right. I don't have enough time to do this. We've got one minute. Psalm 55 talks about casting your cares on the Lord. And obviously many of the Psalms are practicing that. In line with what I was just saying, learn how to process what's going on in your heart with the Lord. The inside of the cup is what matters the most. Your heart is what God is after more than everything else. Although he's after everything, your heart is where it starts. And if you don't know what's happening with you on an emotional level, what you're feeling, why you're feeling it, what you should do about it, that kind of stuff. You have to talk to the Lord about that because only He understands what's going on inside of you. The heart is deceitful above all things. It's hard to understand a human heart. I do not understand my own. And as a result, I spend plenty of time processing my emotions with Him. I ask Him what I'm feeling. I ask Him why I'm feeling that way. I ask Him if I should be feeling that way. Then I ask Him what He wants me to do about it. Notice how it ends in action. The inside of the cup then goes to the outside. And then finally, I said this already, but I want to repeat it for your sake. Pray more with people. We should be a church full of people who are praying together. Can I encourage you and me? I want to, you guys hold me accountable for it. My one-on-one is with you as well. Would we be people who pray for each other every time we get together? Hold hands, link up, pray for one another. Say, how can I pray for you? And then pray for them right then and there. Let's do that more often together. Let's, let's help each other face the Lord more often. I'm going to say a prayer for us. And then Aaron, are you heading this deal up? Kale, are you kind of... Who's heading up this baptism here? Oh, Aaron's going to do it. Okay, he's, he's set in there. The door came magically open. Um, I'm going to say a prayer for us. And then we're going we're gonna to do a baptism. That's cool, man. That's good. I like that. St- stage left. Am I right, Sarah? Okay. Uh, God, thank you so much. You're so good to us. I'm so appreciative of the way that you love us and the way that you have looked after us with such tender mercy. Uh, God, we thank you for uh, the people that you've surrounded us with in community. Thank you so much just for the graces that you give us that that, that go unrecognized by us. I pray that you would help us to recognize those more. God, teach us to pray. Help us to be faithful in prayer, Father, and help us to get to see how sweet that it is. And I pray that we, uh, together as your church, would do more to actually build a life of prayer. We love you and we praise your name and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.